You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live, everyone. Father James Gross and Father Jason Leffer, priests of the Diocese of Fargo, privileged to be joining you on a Friday, this last Friday in the month of May, one of the final weekdays of the season of Easter. And uh, we're glad that you were able to take time to uh, listen to the program and to join us this morning. And did you know that you can listen to Real Presence Live and any of the daily programs you hear in RPR via our app? If you haven't downloaded this app yet for your smartphone or tablet, please do so. Once downloaded, Real Presence Radio is accessible anywhere you are at any time. You can go to your app store and download it as you listen to our next interview. And coming up now, we have someone from uh, my alma mater, the Pontifical College Josephinum in uh, Columbus, Ohio, Perry Cahall. Welcome to Real Presence Live. Thank you, Father. Pleasure to be with you. And, uh, and and Perry, this is this is great. Uh, you know, it's Father Jason Leffer talking here. The uh, Perry and I actually went to seminary together at, at Kenrick School of Theology in in St. Louis, and so it uh, this is a reunion of sorts for for both of us with 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 Perry here. I just I want to make a note before we jump in here. Um, this is the the reach of Real Presence Radio Network. As in break here, I just got a text message from. Um, some listeners. They're actually listening in Columbus, Ohio. Justin and Megan Berger, they were students at UND. He's now a doctor out in Ohio and w- working with the COVID uh, a pandemic out there at their hospital there. And so that's the same town that Perry is on the phone with us talking right now. I just, it's, the Catholic world is so small. That, that's all I'm trying to point. So <laughs> Fantastic. So, so Perry, Okay, this is great. This has been a dream of mine for quite a while to get you on air. I mean, you are the theologian of all theologians on every topic, Catholic. Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's no pressure here, Perry, just to let you know. <laughs> so, so, Perry, can you give us a, a background of your, yourself, a little, a little history of yourself, and, and, and why people should be interested in listening to you? <laughs> well, I, I'll, I probably reserve time for rebuttal from my wife and kids as to why people should be interested in listening to <laughs> But, but uh, I um, went to graduate school at St. Louis University, where I met Father Leffer. Uh, while I cross-listed in some courses that were offered at the seminary while he was there studying to be a priest, so we've known each other for over over 20 years. I was at his ordination. He town celebrated our wedding. Um, I'm now the uh, academic dean at the Pontifical College of Stephen in the School of Theology, and I'm a professor of historical theology as well. And I've um, I've written a couple books on marriage. Um, one book is called The Mystery of Marriage, with Theology, the Body, and the Sacrament. That's more for uh, classroom use. And I just had another book come out uh, in April called uh, Living the Mystery of Marriage, Building Your Sacramental Life Together, which is for, uh, more for engaged and newly married couples, and I hope it's uh, written in an accessible way that will be helpful to people. Very good. And you know, Perry, just on a, on a personal note, could you... Could you just tell us a little bit about, I mean, your courtship with uh, with Marissa, your wife, and and um, and even it's, you know it was an interfaith marriage, but even where that's gone. So, just so our listeners know, I mean, this it's personal stuff too. It isn't just academic stuff. Right? Could you tell us a a little version of your your courtship with her and and, and your marriage? Sure, I'll try to give the Reader's Digest version. We uh, we met when we were in college. Uh, in North Carolina uh, at Duke University, although we both grew up in Ohio. I grew up in Cincinnati. She grew up in Cleveland, but we went to North Carolina to meet. Uh, when I was still had a year left at uh, 
of undergraduate. She came out to St. Louis to start a program in psychology at Washington University. I decided to try to get closer to her but to, uh, to continue our courtship. I ended up at St. Louis University, and then after graduate school, we were married. When we met, fell in love, and were dating, uh, she was not Catholic. She was actually raised Jewish, and um, it was a fascinating journey with her. Uh, she ended up entering the church. It was um, nine years after we got married, um, and um, it was a, one of the most joyous days in my life and hers, I think, too. The, the, the part of your story that I just love the best was like, I think it was the first time you ever saw her. You saw this, this, this redhead, beautiful woman and you thought, oh, she must be Catholic. She must be Irish Catholic with that red head, you know, and, and it turns out she wasn't. And she herself, because of her faith, she challenged you to grow in your faith. Yeah, that's, and God's plan, you know, is often ironic and funny and he has a huge sense of humor because I remember praying daily, you know, that if he wanted me to be married, that he send a woman into my life that would strengthen my faith and lead me closer to him. I, that, that, that was my prayer. My unstated assumption was, well, that has to be Catholic woman. But God had other plans. And in and, and trying to explain the Catholic faith to her and her curiosity about it and our discussions, I grew in my relationship with Christ. God knew what I needed. You know, our relationship wasn't just for me to bring her into the church. I needed her to bring me close to Christ. Well, and, and uh, just uh, to mention to our listeners, in case you hear any background noise, we have an open window in the studio, and our children in our early childhood center are out in the playground, not too far outside the window. So if you hear any uh, gleeful cries of joy and, and, and mirth, you know, it's not coming from the hosts, it's coming from them. So, uh, But it's, it's, at least it's great background ambient noise for us, even if it's not coming across on the airwaves. Um, so, Perry, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. Um, can you just give us... A, kind of a thumbnail sketch of the, the main points in your in your latest book, uh, especially with regard to uh, the beauty and the mystery of Christian marriage? Sure. Um, the latest book, Living the Mystery of Marriage, as I said, is really for engaged and newly married couples, although I hope there's something in it for all uh, married folk. Um, I try to go through you know, the reason why God instituted marriage, talking about marriage as a vocation, the need to discern it, the need to develop a healthy spirituality of marriage, the morality of marriage and family life, especially conjugal morality. And then I talk about marriage as it relates to our ultimate end. Now, to your question, you know, most specifically, the beauty and mystery of marriage, to say something about that. I, I think the reason I wrote the book is because I think we're losing an understanding of what marriage is and how beautiful God made it and what he made it for. You know, it's that marriage is more important than people realize. The, the title of the book is Mystery. That comes from St. Paul. He, he, when he talks to Christian spouses in, in his letter to the Ephesians about marriage, at the very end, in, in verse 32 of chapter 5 of Ephesians, he says, and, I mean, and marriage is a great mystery, and I mean this in relation to Christ and the Church. Now that word mystery, you know, the word he's using is mysterion in Greek. It's translated as sacramentum in Latin. And it's variously translated as mystery or sacrament in English. But one of the fundamental translations of all the, both the Latin and the Greek is sign. Mm-hmm. So St. Paul's saying, this is an incredibly great sign, and I mean in relation to Christ and the Church. So if we forget about the beauty of the sign, we're, 
we're missing something really important in God's plan. You know, Perry, uh, we, I don't know that you heard the earlier segment, but we referenced the fact that St. Paul the Sixth. It's his feast day today, actually, and and, you know, and that's the whole encyclical about humana vitae, and and you're you know this this whole mystery or sacrament of marriage goes back to the very beginning of of creation. Why is what he wrote there about contraception? What how does that go directly to the mystery of, of marriage? Oh sure, well, let's take one step back and then get directly to that issue. The reason why marriage is such such a great mystery, such an important sign, is because, well, if you ask yourself the question, why does it exist? It exists because God wanted there to be a living sign of his love in the world. So, from the dawn of time, uh, God created marriage so that we would ha- have something to look at and say, that's how much God loves me right there. And the qualities of married love, which are unique among, among any type of personal loves that we can have in this world, the, the qualities that are specific to marriage image, they're a sign of how God loves us. Namely, married love is free, it's faithful, it's permanent, and it's fruitful. So those elements of married love, which are unique to it, are supposed to be a reminder to us that God loves us in this way. And those four qualities of married love are actually a way to describe covenantal love. You know, we call marriage a covenant. Why? Because it's a sign of the covenant that God shares with us. What's a covenant? It's a mutual exchange of persons, literally handing over the entire self to the other and receiving the other into your very being with these four qualities, free, faithful, permanent, and fruitful. Now, the fruitful part is what bears directly upon Paul VI teaching on contraception and humanity vitae. Right? That God's love is always fruitful. He sends his grace into the world and he wants it to bear fruit. And he invites us as human beings to continue his creative activity in the world. So if marriage is going to be a living, breathing, accurate sign of how God loves us, you cannot, you can't ever separate the fruitful part of that love, or else it's not an adequate sign of the covenant that God shares with us. And we are, uh, for those who are just tuning in uh, to Real Presence Live, we are visiting with Perry Cahall from uh, uh, Columbus, Ohio, where he serves as the academic dean of the School of Theology at the Pontifical College Josephinum, a seminary that I had the great privilege of attending and uh, graduating from in 1999. So um, quite a few years have gone between uh, then and now, but um, uh, there are a lot of great memories for me of uh, uh, spending uh, some time there at the Josephinum. You know, when we talk about... um, the blessing of marriage going back to the beginning. Uh, I'm reminded of how when people are asking Jesus about marriage and any possible exceptions to it, you know, that uh, he doesn't refer them back to, well, what did King David say or what did Moses say or even what did Abraham say? But he says, you know, from the beginning. And, uh, you know, just that, that the beauty of the, the complementarity of, of man and woman and, um, you know, the the right of marriage speaks about, you know, the, um, the only blessing that was not uh, forfeited through original sin or, or washed away in the flood. So can you kind of expand on that a little bit in terms of, um, you know, what Jesus had to say about that, uh, that ancient uh, uh, property of the marriage covenant? Sure. And that's what makes marriage you know, so unique. This is why, uh, by the way, John Paul II in his Theology of the Body calls marriage the primordial sacrament, the mm-hmm. sacrament that's present from the very beginning. And if you look at all the seven sacraments that we have in the Church, Marriage is the only one that was present from the dawn of time in both form and matter. So, and it's because God wanted marriage, as I said, to be a sign of his love for us. So, 
here's here's the, the the danger of losing an understanding of marriage in our culture. If we forget what marriage is, then we end up forgetting who God is and how God loves us. John Paul II says, you know, not only is marriage a sign of God's covenantal love for us, which free, faithful, prominent, fruitful giving of oneself to the other, but it's also a sign of God's own inner life of love. You know, from all eternity, we've got to be the person, this dynamism of love, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and somehow marriage is supposed to be a sign of that type of being that exists within God himself. You know, so one more thing that comes to mind, too, is uh, there's a way in which you can read all of salvation history in terms of marriage. You know, so the, the very opening pages of the Bible begin with the marriage of Adam and Eve. The end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, ends with the marriage of Christ and his church, the wedding feast of the Lamb. And there's a way that you can read everything in between as this giant love story in which God is seeking to bring us back to him, to woo us to love him again, so that he can marry us for all eternity. That's God's plan. So you that's know, why... Go ahead. I see on that note, Perry, too, like, a- absolutely. I mean, what what you're saying there, and I'd say, and it even goes deeper, because Christ uses the analogy of the marriage of man and woman he reveals himself as the eternal bridegroom for all of humanity. But then it goes to the, the very core of the identity of the divine person, Jesus Christ himself. We say the, the union between his divine nature and his human nature, which, which is the whole point of the new and eternal covenant, which can never be broken. It's not broken by death. It, it's not broken by sin or disobedience. It, God is doing this himself. And so marriage itself is a sign, the relationship of the man and the woman, their their covenant, which cannot be broken, is a sign pointing to that deeper reality is the very the very new and eternal covenant of God and man in the divine person, Jesus Christ. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the, 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 the weddedness, so to speak, of the divine and the human nature in the one person of Christ. This marriage is a model, in essence, for, for all of this that we're talking about. Yeah, and it's John Paul II also calls marriage the model of all the sacraments, because how did, how did the sacraments get first forth, so to speak, into the, into the Church? It's by Christ the Bridegroom, as you mentioned, you know, giving himself utterly and completely to his Church on the cross, and out of his side, pours forth the sacramental life of the Church. So marriage is the model for all of the sacraments of redemption. Perry, could you maybe take us to, you know, the relationship between faith and the mystery of marriage, like, and then even on like a, a, a practical level, why does it take faith to be faithful for the union of the man and the woman? And what's being worked out on a practical level between the man and the woman? And what does that have to do with your salvation and faith? Sure. Let's see if we can go this route. From, if from the dawn of time, marriage is supposed to be this living sign of God's love. It's sin does a lot to wound that plan. It makes it difficult for a man and a woman to live out that type of faithful love lifelong. So one of the main works of the Redeemer, you know, our heavenly bridegroom, is to come to restore God's plan from the beginning, as he, as he says in Matthew 19, and also to give us the grace, the power, to live out that plan. So that's why faith, right, a life of faith, the reliance upon Christ is needed, to live out this plan, because with sin in the world, we find it hard on our own efforts to live out this, to live out this type of love. And I think one of the, you know, 
were very good, uh, very quick in the Catholic Church to say that marriage is a sign of Christ's love for the Church. But I think we need to say you know, more about how it's an effective sign. You know, in other words, all the sacraments are effective signs. They bring into being what they symbolize. But what is the union of a man and a woman symbolized? As St. Paul says, it symbolizes the union between Christ and the Church. And what does it bring into being? It brings into being this indelible bond between the two, just as Christ will never leave his bride. He bound himself to the, his bride for all eternity. So the husband and the wife are now bound to each other till death that they part. And it also effects, bringing, brings into being in their union Christ's love for the Church. They, they now are empowered to love with His love, not with their own feeble efforts. And that's the day in and the day out, when you ask about the practical element of it. In that gracious presence, every single moment of every single day of a spouse's life together, not just on the wedding day, there is present in the day in, day out, ordinary and extraordinary aspects of their lives together. Now, Perry, uh, I was just going to ask you, there are going to be some listeners who have been tuning in here thinking to themselves, well, you know, uh, Mr. Uh, theology Professor, uh, you know, is uh, speaking sort of pie in the sky, but, you know, thank heaven that he's working with the seminarians and all the rest of it. But when we bring it down to kind of the, as Father Leffer had said, a practical level, can you give us just maybe a, a couple of examples, like in your own experience of living out this vocation, living out this sacrament of how you make real and make present to each other uh, the great mystery in which you were participating. Yeah, that's right. You know, I think number one is um, you can't feel grace working. We're wanting some type of example of, like, extraordinary example of, well, you know, here in this, this part of my very life, you know, I really felt Christ's presence. Well, sometimes extraordinarily that the gifts God gives you, but ordinarily you don't feel grace. It's only in retrospect that you look back on certain events and realize that God was there, and he was supporting you in a way which you didn't realize at the moment, but you realized you couldn't have gotten through without it. Um, so let me give you some. Um, in the course of our married life together, within the first um, nine years of our married life together, uh, m- my wife, Marissa, uh, battled cancer twice. Uh, the second time, uh, she developed cancer during her third pregnancy, and we lost our third child because she went into early labor. Those were incredibly uh, difficult, to say the least, times in our life together. I was petrified that I was going to lose my life. Um, in the midst of that, you know, there, were, there weren't very, very many feel-good moments. But in retrospect, looking back and looking at the things that she, the strength that she had in dealing with that, some of the things that we said to each other, and the way that Christ was really present there, there's no doubt about it not a doubt in our mind. Um, so those are, on the practical level, those are immediate things that come to my mind. I do think um, there's a way in which couples can gain something, gain strength from their married life together, the grace that Christ offers them in their sacrament, by contemplating Christ on the cross. Um, I have a religious artist friend of mine who says, you know, she thinks one of the best contemplations that a married couple can undertake is looking at Christ's feet on the cross. I asked her, why his feet? And she said, because when you look at Christ's feet, you're looking at two members of the body of Christ bound together with the nail of suffering. And she said, that's what happens in marriage. Not, and she's not being overly pessimistic. Suffering will come in life. You can't avoid it. But if you go through that together, relying upon the grace of Christ, there's something that brings you closer together through that suffering than anything else you'll experience. 
And that's the mystery of marriage. Crisis is all of it. Every single aspect of your married life to draw you together and draw both of you to Him. That's an absolutely powerful testimony, Perry. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Um, uh, with Father James Gross and Father Jason Leffer, we have uh, the f- privilege of having uh, theologian Perry Cahill on with us uh, discussing living the mystery of marriage. Um, Perry, could you could take us to, to this point? So there are really good Catholics out there right now, and some of them who are actually listening, and they're looking at their own marriage that they have, and they're they're having a temptation to think that it'd be easier to work out their salvation outside the bond of their marriage because their marriage is so painful or so difficult or or so, you know, and they they really are maybe even close to the temptation of acting on that and departing from um, their their covenant of marriage. What what could you say to us about that mysterious part of the of it? The the absolute difficult in this and I'm talking about like really good faithful Catholics who are kind of like at, at the end, and and they cannot see that there's any benefit or fruit to trying to make it work out. What 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 could you say uh, to those situations? Immediately, what comes to mind, Father Jason, is um, the preacher to the faithful household, Father Raniero Campolamesa. He's been there since John Paul II. You know, so he has the job of providing reflections to the Pope. Um, he gave a, a homily sometimes, as many years ago, where he talked about the dark nights of marriage. Now, he's taking that analogy from St. John of the Cross, where St. John of the Cross about the dark soul. Every marriage will be in different types of dark nights. One is the dark night of the emotions, where you don't feel like loving each other, right? where you don't feel lovable. And this, this recurs many times over marriage. It's, it's not, you know, atypical. Because feeling, when you're committing to marriage, you're not committing to a life of emotional consistency. That's impossible. You're not committing to a life of happily ever after. It's after. That only exists in fairy tales. What you're committing to is a life of committed ever after, right? Till death do us part. A sa- sacrificial love. And there will be times when you don't feel like loving each other, but in, in that, it's those times, ironically, in which your love can grow. Because you're loving, not because there's, you, you feel anything, but feel like you're getting anything out of it. You're loving because you're willing the good of your spouse. And that's the essence of love, willing the good of the other. Now, in those times of emotional aridness or dryness, I think you simply have to lean into Christ and, and you know, trust Him to sustain you through these times of aridness. With the worst thing a couple can do, though, and I think this is a temptation of a lot of younger couples, is to think, well, because the, the warm fuzzies are gone, because the feelings are no longer positive, there must be something wrong with our relationship. I must have married this person. You know, and that's not true. You know, that you married a sinner. When two sinners marry each other, that's a recipe for having hard, hard times. And when those come, you need to lean into Christ, because he's your greatest ally. The other type of dark night in marriage, I think, is times when maybe couples are tempted to think that they made the wrong choice. You know, what kind of temptations of the intellect? Well, what if I'd chosen this for my life instead? Or what if I'd chosen that person I knew in high school or something like that? Those are serious temptations, and I think you just have to treat those thoughts as temptations, you know, coming from the evil one and banish them from your mind, because you've chosen a life, you've chosen a road to hose, so to speak. Like in Luke's Gospel, Jesus says, whoever, you know, puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of me. What you've chosen to plow is the row of marriage to this person, and you can't spend the rest of your life looking back and thinking, what if? This is the structure that gives your life purpose and the way in which Jesus is seeking to save you, 
and you have to be committed to that, and you have to rely upon Jesus to sustain your commitment even when you feel weak, and especially when you feel weak. Perry, we only have... We only have a couple seconds, or not, we have two minutes left here, basically, but could, could you speak to, in, in regard to what you're talking about there, what is, a person who's called a vocation of marriage, how does their salvation depend upon fidelity to their sacrament? What, what's the connection there with their salvation? Absolutely. So if, if Christ has called a couple to the vocation of marriage, and now he's bound them in the sacramental life together, their salvation is dependent upon living up to those vows and relying upon Christ to help sanctify them. In other words, a true vocation is a call, right? And everybody received the universal call to holiness. But for those who've embraced marriage, they've received this, this more particular call to this state of life, and that's how God wants to work out their salvation. So maintaining faithful to that call is, is essential to them journeying towards the beatific vision, the blessed life in heaven with God. That's that's the road that they've been given, and they need to remain faithful to that road. So, if the, the natural purposes of marriage are to have babies and to and to serve the good of each other, the supernatural purpose of the sacrament of marriage is to get each other to heaven and to put your children on that path. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So. Um uh, just uh, in the few seconds that we have left here, um, I'm just kind of curious to hear, Perry, uh, what was it like finishing up this semester with everything that was happening there at the seminary? <laughs> it was rather odd. I think everybody <laughs> would agree. Mid-March, we went to fully online courses, and we did a rapid you know, revamping to try to make sure we could do that. And I think things concluded satisfactorily. I think the universal opinion was that it's not like being in the classroom and everybody's longing to be back there. But we, we made it through. So, yeah. And and I I know I I can speak for myself that I'm I'm grateful uh, for the the good things that I'm hearing and and the good work that's being done there at uh, my alma mater the Pontifical College Josephinum. So uh, Perry Kale, thank you for taking the time to uh, visit with us today, and uh, we sure appreciate it. And keep up the good work. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for for allowing me to be with you. This is really a lot of fun. Yeah, ho- hopefully, uh, hopefully you can become a regular on our, our, our network here because you, you really have a lot to give. So thank you so much, Perry. That'd be great, Father. It's <laughs> always great talking to you. Wonderful. And yes, we do need to continue to put that bug in the ear of the powers that be here at Real <laughs> Presence Radio. But like you said, Father, the, the great reach of uh, our apostolate here and how uh, there is this network of friends in the faith from all these different places and how that uh, is carried on by the by the Holy Spirit. So uh, up next, as we begin our second hour of programming on this Friday, Deacon Riley Durkin will join us to talk about the anticipation of his upcoming ordination to the priesthood for the Diocese of Fargo in about two months' time. Stay with us as we begin that second hour of Real Presence Live right after this. (laughs) 